0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today I'm joined by Peter Krykant, who is project lead at Cranston, a, a charity organisation and I reached out to, oh a horrible term reached out and then I, um, <laughs> I contacted Peter after seeing his story on LinkedIn because I just thought I know it's one that all of you guys as listeners will absolutely love and Peter um, very thankfully agreed to, to come on. Peter, thank you very much for doing this. Yeah, no, thanks very much for asking me, Martin. It's a real pleasure to uh, join you today. And we're going to do- dive into your story, but um, I- I'm a bit nervous because I'm not sure I can step up to the plate because you were telling me beforehand you've, you- you're often now in the, in the media and BBC, Victoria Derbyshire, but you, yeah. you've come back to your your roots, as it were, to do a, a podcast about uh, contact centres.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, when you first reached out, Martin, I was a little bit um, taken taken aback because obviously. You know my story, um, it's one of homelessness and uh, drug dependency, you know, early childhood trauma. Um, but in recent years, you know, like you say, I've done a lot of media, a lot of TV, a lot of radio interviews, a lot of podcasts as well. Um, but really, when I look back, you know, my career started in the contact center industry, you know, in 2004. know i had a bit of time where i had a bit of stability you know i had a place to live in brighton and uh you know a bit of stability away from sort of the the drug dependency that 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 was linked to you know my childhood trauma and my homelessness and i went and applied for a job and uh, i got a job in a contact center and and that was in early 2005 and uh, a story i often hear you know, from a lot of people, an old friend who I was talking to on the phone who I worked with at Domestic in General in the outbound uh, team, he's still there 17 years later. Uh, You know, I found myself still working in the contact centre industry 11 years later. And, you know, and all the stuff that I do now, all the the media, the podcasts, the TV, all of that comes from a core base of what I learned in the contact centre industry.
0: And that, that's that's lovely to hear, and often often overlooked. By that, do you mean the communication skills and how to show up? And
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I've got I've got a little story I'll tell you. Um, so I, I I showed up for my interview. I had to declare my criminal convictions at that point because I was also involved in the criminal justice system. So I was surprised when I got off of the job. Um, I was two weeks into the job, and I didn't obviously know this at the time, but um, the woman who was to become my wife I had friends in the contact centre that I worked in in Brighton and domestic in general. Um, I didn't meet her until 2010, 2009, sorry, and I started there in 2005. Um, and one of our friends, a guy called Dave, was my uh, light manager on the academy section. Again, didn't know this at the time, obviously. Um, but I was just on the job two weeks. I was still, still on the, the, the probation period, two weeks into the job. And um, you were told, you know, as, you, as you're as you told at the beginning, you know, you need to empathise, you need to build rapport with the, the, the customers, you know, you need to talk about what it is that they're interested in. And um, somebody was talking about... It was a a, a Sky product at the time, Sky Repair Protect plan. And one of the customers was talking about how something was uh, bull S-H-I-T. I I don't know if we can swear on here, but (laughs) I I try not to these days. And I reflected that back to him. I said, yeah, that is kind of bull S-I-H-T. And uh, obviously I was pulled up for that in one of the call recordings. Um, you know, and I was really nervous. I thought I was going to lose my job. You know, obviously swearing as a as a no-no in that environment. But never, I had never, I had no experience. You know, like the, the world that I came from previous to that. You know, conversations were pretty limited. You know, and growing up in Scotland. You know, like a lot of our chat is punctuated by swear words um, but thankfully Dave said you know this is just a learning clock curve it sounded really good and your report was really good you just can't use swear words even if the customer uses <laughs> yeah. those swear words um, so you know that that that, that you know was a, a massive learning curve you know like that communication skills you know and how to you know, empathize with customers. You know, and, and the more experience that I got, you know, and then I worked in retentions. You know, and people calling up, um, you know, to, to book repairs. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 understanding. You know, certainly, you know, certain times of the year. You know, if you if you've got Christmas coming up and your cooker breaks down, how important that is to somebody. You know, like if you've mm-hmm. got family, um, you know, a large family and you've got kids and your washing machine breaks down, how important that is to get somebody out to repair that, you know, and, and and understanding that people in certain financial situations, you know, can't afford to to go out and buy a new appliance. Um, but, you know, they can afford, you know, a couple of pounds a month to protect that appliance, you know, and, and you know, all these things that I learned, you know, and and, and things that I use now every day in life, all grew from that job you know and um I look back now and you know as an employer uh domestic in general were absolutely amazing and some of my biggest achievements I'm sure we'll go on to talk about um hopefully later on in the podcast but I've got some great memories of some of the things I I achieved and you know I was catching up on some of your other podcasts um, you know maybe we'll talk a little bit about attrition levels you know and, and, (laughs) and, and incentives and targets and stuff as we go on
0: and do you, um, in your post, you were very open about, and you mentioned it there, the world you are in um, beforehand. Is is it important to you then to um, to share that story? And at what point did you think I'm I'm going to start talking about um, where I was before uh, in order to? And I loved that. There's a phrase in your um, post about how empowering people can empower change. But was there a moment where you thought it's going to benefit others to to share my story.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose that, that that's been a, a gradual process for me. You know, I think um, I think the power of example, the power of sharing shared experiences with other people, is, is beneficial. You know, and I, I think if if somebody sees, you know, that somebody who has been homeless, who has you know, been injecting drugs in really horrible conditions and alleyways and abandoned buildings, you know, has that opportunity and, and, and can change and can move forward and, you know, can get get a job to begin with, you know, in and, and the contact centre industry, you know, um, get married, have children. If people see those stories, you know, it becomes more of a realistic um goal for others, I think. Um, you know, and it also I think breaks down the stigma associated with um homelessness and and, and drug dependency, you know, because I think there's always a story underlying, um, you know, problematic uh, drug use, you know, and involvement with the criminal justice system, because the way that we deal with drugs in the United Kingdom, you know, automatically leads people into that criminal justice system, which can actually just traumatize people more you know, rather than, you know, what happened to me was I was able to get a job, I was able to get an education, I was able to, you know, grow my experiences in life. So I think being open um, is something that, you know, has, has hopefully helped, you know, because I, I have got quite a large profile and I've, I've campaigned a lot for changes to the way that we deal with, these issues for people who are going through similar experiences to what I went through in the late 90s, you know, we're still uh, uh, often treating people the same way uh, where other countries have really changed direction with this stuff, you know, and and decriminalized, um, you know, dr- drug use and, and, and offer people support and help rather than sending people to, to prison or, you know, punishing people.
0: Is... We were talking beforehand about, um, it's, a, uh, it's a subject close to my heart as well around, um, I spent some time volunteering for an outreach um, organization, and it always amazed me how difficult it was to navigate, whether it was access to housing, other welfare, um, support needed to get back into employment or to, to deal with um, addiction that it, even as someone who had a home to go to at the end of my time uh, on, on shift, if you like, I had a home to go to. And I found, but I, I still came away thinking, it's so difficult, it, it's, things aren't made easy. And that's with someone who has a home and um, can, can leave it behind and go, right, I'll, I'm back out again Tuesday night. For people that were living out on the on the streets, to be able to then navigate the bureaucracy alone i just thought was was astounding and we 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 don't make it easy to help people um get up
1: yeah yeah we don't and you know if you've got um you know a lack of basic skills you know in terms of um you know a, a lack of skills around reading or writing or you know, if, if you've kind of grew up in, a, in an area where, you know, education's not been a priority and you've maybe been in and out of school, um, you know, it, it's even harder to navigate. You know, there's a, mm. there's a percentage of people who, who have those challenges that are even harder um, for, for, for some individuals. And I think that's where, where it's really important that, you know, organisations are set up and charities are set up to really give people that basic support you know that 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 ability to 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 get into basic education you know again you know i th- i'm not sure if I, I said this earlier martin but you know i when i went for my job interview um with domestic in general i was able to access a grant for a hundred pounds it was a it was actually vouchers it wasn't money um, which was fine because that gave me um Enough, I had enough vouchers to go and buy a shirt, a tie, a suit and a pair of uh, shoes, you know, uh, that was in, you know, early 2005, um, you know, it was just enough money to, to, to look smart, get well dressed and, and go for the interviews, you know, and I'd had a couple of interviews already, you know, obviously I hadn't been successful, so when I was successful for that one, You know, I was, as I said, I was really taken back and shocked, Um, but I was given basic support. You know, at at that point, um, the organization that I I was able to access the the, the vouchers through, they also supported me with the CV, you know, because the way it works is with criminal convictions, you've got seven years that usually for most uh, basic level convictions that you have to declare them for. Um, and had I not had that support, I would have just declared all my criminal convictions. I didn't need to do that because certain convictions were spent under the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act. You know, so, so sometimes it's those things that people don't even know, you know, that can help and support them. Um, and it's not being dishonest. I wouldn't say it's being dishonest. It's the way the system is set up. You know, people have, uh, you know, rehabilitation, there's, there's there's rehabilitation available for people. I mean, now, I don't declare, if I was to be going for a new job, I don't declare any of my criminal convictions, you know, because they were 20, over, you know, 21, 22 years ago now, um, and I have a, a certificate for um, protection of vulnerable groups that I can actually work with, you know, vulnerable uh, groups of uh, children or adults, um, you know, but some people probably wouldn't even know that unless they're given the support to do so. You know, to to understand um, what what they can say and can't, what what they need to say and what they don't need to say when it comes to applying for jobs and stuff.
0: That what what was your mindset like when you were making that transition? You must have you must have had so much fortitude to think I'm I'm going to go for interviews. Um, were you expecting people to say no, sorry, or what? What What was your mindset like?
1: Well, I mean, I hadn't worked for so many years. Um, you know, obviously that was May two thousand and five when I actually started um, working in the contact center. Um, and I think previous to that, my f- my last, like, official job would have been in the mid to late 90s before I left Scotland. So, you, you know, you're probably looking at about seven or eight years where there was a big mm. gap with no employment history mm. at all. Um, you know, obviously having to, to declare criminal convictions, I didn't have much hope at that point, you know, that, that mm. I was going to be able to find a job. Um, you know and i was again a, a little bit taken aback that i actually even got offered a job you know and and especially in the, the industry that i was working in you know the contact center industry you know because i was working with people you know and, and we were collecting people's bank details you know and we were selling products to people and you know that that you know requires a, a basic level of trust doesn't it so you know actually looking back on it now you know we've got organizations out there that are doing great work organizations like Timsons, who you know are, mm. are, are, are employing people um, coming out of the prison system you know uh, organ- I think organizations like Iceland you know who are also doing the same um, but actually when I look back domestic in general uh, way back in 2005 gave me that opportunity you know so uh, certainly ahead of the game in many ways you know in terms of what often people need um, is just a chance. You know, it's just a chance, just an opportunity. Um, and I grabbed that opportunity with both hands, you know. I would probably still be in the contact centre industry now if it wasn't for the fact that, um, you know, I'd done a bit of stay-at-home dadding. And, uh, actually, I think I was the first person in, in uh, domestic in general to take six months paternity leave, um, you know, the, the man and the woman can split the maternity leave yeah, now. Yeah. And, in, and um, during the 1st, 2011, when I was still working at, at d uh, my oldest son was born and um, my wife took the first six months and I took the second six months. And then, you know, obviously I went back to work after that six months and then we moved to Scotland in 2013. Um, that was the only reason for leaving that organisation. And when I first moved back to Scotland, I worked in the contact centre industry again, you know, I worked for Sky and a couple of other smaller contact centres in Glasgow. And um, then my second son was born and I became a stay-at-home dad and I stayed at home for nearly a year um and while I was at home I decided this is when I got the idea you know I can use my own history my own experiences of homelessness addiction you know maybe get a job so I started volunteering for a little organization locally um and that led to an offer of a job and um you know that, that that again changed my direction in life slightly but um yeah, it was that opportunity it was that chance and it was that skill base that learning um and uh, a great fantastic eight years of my life you know like as i say i i met my wife in uh, the gym in brighton uh, uh the gym LA fitness and we just got chatting one day and domestic uh, in general were one of the biggest employers in brighton at the time you know there was Uh, probably around five or six hundred people employed there and she knew a couple of people that worked there that previous story about Dave who was my my first team leader on the academy section and another guy called Steve who actually I ended up being a team leader with on the same campaign Um, and we were all just camping together uh, down in Hertfordshire in the summer myself and my wife and Steve and uh, yeah so I look back and just changed my life Martin you know and and that's why I was so pleased to come on this because you know I I, I don't think that often um, the contact centre or call centre industry gets a a good press you know Mm -hmm. and actually Mm -hmm. a well-run contact centre and a well-run organisation do some great work um, and give some great opportunities to people you know, and, and and I believe that it can be a great place place to work. One of my biggest um, achievements that I was proud of as a team team leader in domestic in general was I went a full year without a lever on my team. Um, 16, That's great, sixteen people, and you know, twelve months without any any levers on my team. Um, you know, because attrition levels can be high. Um, yeah, but I, I always always uh, made sure that you know I was. Trying to, to 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 make people feel as comfortable as possible, you know. And I managed outbound sales teams for a long time, but we had inbound teams. A couple of people that came onto my team who, you know, they weren't natural sellers, but they were great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, on the phones themselves, they were great at chatting to people. They were great at you know listening and um, rapport building, but they just weren't natural sellers. So you, you know, those are the sorts of people that rather than say or you know you're not any any good for for us. As you would transfer those people, you know you would see if there were spaces on the inbound teams because you know the, there's there's always opportunities for people to grow and develop in this in this environment.
0: If you think about our, I, there's so much there that I love. If you think about our industry now as well, we we are struggling with um, bringing on customer facing agents if if you want to call them that kind of and thinking about your your journey and it definitely resonates with a lot of the people I worked alongside and then as I progressed to a team leader manage people who came who felt like we'd given we'd taken a chance on them were were so committed once they got over this uh, I was talking about a guy I managed um, before he he shared with me that for a period up to his probation he felt paranoid that at some point someone would come and say oh actually you don't have any GCSEs and you didn't really have a job before this so sorry you you've you've got to go he said once we once he came out he, he we alleviated that by reassurance and training and commitment to help his um, career he was the most committed yeah. member of the team absolutely 100 percent, streets ahead of other people who probably felt like oh i don't why am i here i don't want to be in a in a contact center whereas um i call him rich whereas rich was just always there the, the life and soul of the team right behind any campaign we had um and went and still is in the industry having a, a fantastic career and i think you know, you you said then uh, the um, domestic in general ahead of the game when they when they employed you. That's the kind of thing that we need to be doing is is giving people a chance and thinking rather than finding reasons to say no, find reasons to go. Or well, there's potential here. What how can we how can we mould it? Because like you said, a well-run contact centre is a great place to to start your to start your career.
1: It is. It is, and you know, so I think back then, you know, we had so much fun. You know, it's a, it was a young, lively yeah. Ireland. Of, you know, and, um, that I think that was part of the reason why I was able to go long periods of of time without people, you know, wanting to leave because we had fun. You know, it was like we. We done sports relief, you know, comic relief, mm. taking calls, you know. We got pizzas in for people, you know. We always ran, you know, incentives, you know, and a lot of the times incentives were based around alcohol back in those days, you know. Like um I'm sure it's it's not the same these yeah. days, but well, you know, um, well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know in, a, in a city like Brighton, you know lots of young people you know that was the types of it was always about what what types of incentives people want you know what do you want and one of my favorites that i loved running you know and i would usually run it over the course of a month you know and it wouldn't always be on you know although i was an outbound uh, sales team leader you know it wouldn't always be on sales it would be on uh, you know various different aspects of um, calls in terms of call quality etc mm. um you know, and, and uh, what, what, what the incentive basically was, was, we, you know, we'll, there'd be a point system. And over the course of the month, you know, we would run the incentive and the person who wins the incentive would actually get a day's paid holiday, but they wouldn't have to use the holiday. And I would go on the phones for them for the day. And then any sales nice. that I made would go towards their, their sales targets and their sales commissions. But if I didn't make any sales, it wouldn't impact them because it would be I'd be logged in delivering through my uh, own login, you know, so that write these not only give them a day off where they can go away and they don't have to use a day's holiday, but it could also massively impact. their their commission in terms of their sales, because obviously I was putting those sales towards their commission structures without impacting their actual logged in time. So, and I think that was one of the best things that I did because, you know, I think certainly as you move through the contact centre industry and you move from that sort of teammate to team leader, you know, that can be a transition period, you know, of... You know, like all of a sudden, you're expected to manage people. You know, you're expected to um, set targets. You, you know, you're listening, call quality, coaching, development. Um, you know, uh, and, and and coming from team mate to team leader, um, I think one of the things that I've seen is sometimes people can f- forget. Um, you know, the, the 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 challenges of the day to day role can be challenging. You know, the 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 if you're going through a difficult period, you know, and you're not achieving, you know, your targets and stuff. Um, And sometimes management can forget that. So I would always like to make sure that I didn't forget that, um, that I remembered that. And and I think that helps so much when you're doing like regular one-to-ones and regular coaching and development sessions, you know, and you're um, running incentives and running, um, you know, the, the, the team how you would want your manager to manage you you know so yeah it's a
0: real i mean we have very I, I was um outbound that was my first first um few years was outbound as, as an agent and then outbound as a as a team leader and then manager and, I, and i'm with you i used to get frustrated with the higher ups who would come down and go what what's going on with sales today and why isn't vicky selling you know, like there was some, oh, I forgot to press the sales button. There we go, I pressed yeah, it, it should yeah. be fine now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But,
1: you know, I, I think one of the important things for me was, you know, not standing over people, you know, like, I think, especially with people who are natural sort of sellers, you know, the people who, you know, those people who are just kind of like, come in every day and they do their job and they get on with it and they're, you know, uh, Great at, great at selling you know it would just be stand back and allow them to do what they want to yeah. do like, as long mm-hmm. as the call quality is there as long as they're not misselling, selling just let them get on with the job and then I could focus a lot bit more because there was people who who you know I, I was in the unfortunate position a, a couple of times over the years of you know managing academy people who you know just couldn't do the job you know because it it takes a certain person to get pick up the phone and build rapport and talk to customers whether that be inbound or outbound you know for me there's a a, it's a certain type of person that's really good at the job Um, and I was in an unfortunate position of having to let people go on a a couple of occasions Um, but I would do everything I could to support the People it as and when I could, you know, to, to move people into other departments, into other out, inbound rather than outbound, um, you know, because it, it, it can be a challenge, can't it? It can be a challenge if...
0: It, oh, massively so, and I think people forget, you know, we, even the most successful team members, 90% of their days still rejection, you know, yeah. and that, the, the toll that that has on people's mentality, for me, it was always... Once you got over the kind of um, I've always thought it's two things. The first one was getting over that point where you ask for the sale, people would do great up until then and go, right, should we should we proceed? And you could see them. I don't know whether it's a British thing or it was just that kind of nervousness around going, right, now now get it, get it. Yeah, once you yeah. once people got over that one, the next hurdle I think was so important was just that mentality of knowing that you've done a good job but it hasn't happened mm-hmm. and being able to just rem- put that to one side and then move on straight away literally with no break you know you just you could have a come home at the end of the day do you have a good day well 80 90 of my day was people telling me no oh, or, yeah. or even worse you know so <laughs> that yeah. kind of resilience
1: Totally, yeah, and it, it does take a high level of resilience, you're, you're right, I mean, I don't know, somebody, in, in those days, in my early days at, at, at D&G, you know, somebody could be probably making 100 calls a day, you know, outbound calls a mm. day, and, get, and the target would probably be about 10 sales, so, you know, you're right, yeah. about 90% mm. of the, the, the day would be rejection, you know, so it does take a level of stamina, it takes a level of determination, you know, to, to to be in that outbound world. But I think also in the inbound stuff as well, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, it, it can be very challenging at times, you know, people are often, often certainly, you know, in the, Sort of stuff that I was involved in in terms of appliances and uh, central heating and um, that type of area, people can often be in crisis, you know. Like if your central heating system's broken yeah. down, you know, you need an engineer to come out, you know, people can often be con- really concerned, you know. I think, um, you know, not to be ageist, but I think a lot of um, customers in those days, certainly, that from my memory was it was elderly customers who would be more inclined to, you know, have the, the protection in place, you know, and, and you can just imagine, you know, my gran's nearly 90 yeah. now, you know, my grandmother's nearly 90 now and, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want her sitting up in our, in our house without her central heating or, yeah. you know, her, her cooker, um, you know, or not being able to uh, make a cup of tea or something. You know, because she's got an issue with the electrics, whatever that may be. You know, whatever that is that you're 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 supporting people with. You know, you've got. To, I think often for me, it was always about um, placing myself in the position of the customer. You know, and and. Obviously, if somebody doesn't want a product when you're an outbound, that's fine. It's the individual's choice. You know, for me, it was never about coercing people or trying to miss sell to people. It was always about highlighting, the, you know, the, the, the benefits of the product, the features and the benefits of the products that you were selling, you know, and giving people that opportunity to make a decision based on those features and benefits. Are they suitable for the customer? Do
0: the, does the customer want this product, you know? Can you remember that? Can you, you mentioned the transition um, and it's an area, I, I, I love talking about this, that kind of going from one of, the, one of the boys, one of the team to then sometimes managing people that you were sat next to. Um, how did you find that transition?
1: Um, it was a difficult transition when I was sort of At, at, at that time, there was like a middle phase So you had your agent and then you had your senior agent and then you had your team leader. Um, So the senior agent would often be helping the team leader. So you'd have teams of anywhere between 15 to 20 full time employees, sometimes maybe 15 full time employees and maybe three or four part time employees who would come in sort of five o'clock to nine o'clock or four o'clock to eight o'clock. Um, generally, it was a uh, sort of twelve to eight or one to nine um, back in the early early days. Um, so your your senior agent and the role, some being in that role for quite some time as that sort of senior agent, you know, off the phones, listening to calls, uh, call recordings, doing side by side sessions. So actually listening yeah. to live side by side. You know, and, and doing that type of coaching and that type of senior agent role I found really difficult um, to begin with because you were directly working with people you were sitting on the team with but when mm-hmm. I, I moved into the, the sort of I, I interviewed and I, I got the, the team leader position it wasn't as difficult because then I was a, I was actually managing my own team you know um, and I had mm. moved from the team that I was sitting beside on to it's better. Know, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, it's still in the same department to begin with, so there was some challenges. Um, but I think, you know, it's like any job, you've got to, to just face those challenges. You know, sometimes, like any job, when you're in management level, you do have to lay things out on the line, you know, you do have to. Just tell it how it is. You know, you know this is how it is, and you know I'm I'm your manager, and um, you know if you're if you're going to continue to, to 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 work like this, you know if you're going to continue to ignore call quality, you know if you're not going to say to every customer that the calls are record, recorded for training and quality purposes, like you need to do, you know this is part of the job. You need to tell the customer this at the beginning of the call. Um, if you're not going to do that then I'm going to have to put you on to, you know, a disciplinary, you know, I'm going to have to give you a, a, a verbal warning, you know, and, and at some point that may turn into a, you know, a meeting with HR and a written warning, you know, and sometimes that's the challenges of any job. That's not just the contact mm-hmm. centre industry, you know, there's mm-hmm. guidelines that need to be um, adhered to, but I was never really, I can probably, you know, the the seven years or whatever it was, I was a uh team leader and domestic in general, I can count in one hand the amount of times I was in HR with people, you know, um, it was just, uh, you know, I, I just had lots of fun, you know, that that was kind of what yeah. I, I loved about that, that job, you know, I had lots of fun and the people that I worked with were all really nice, You know, my LinkedIn profile, all four of my recommendations on my LinkedIn profile come from my days at domestic in general. You know, four people that I worked with. One was my contact centre manager, another was um, the account manager, and one was somebody that I directly managed, and the other one was um, the, the, the... um, I can't remember what his job was, but he was in the same department as well, you know, so um, I think uh, looking back now, a lot of my contacts on LinkedIn are, um, are still from those days at DG. and so, um so yeah, it was just a really good, good time, good experience, and um, yeah, I'm going back to Brighton on the 11th of uh, November, so nine days' time. And I'm actually hoping to meet up with a couple of people. This really? guy called it. Uh, I think I mentioned him earlier. A guy, Amal, who I worked with on D and Outbound, um, and he's still with them. You know, we were just chatting on the phone the other day. It's 17 years he's been there. You know, and um, another guy who I actually employed. I interviewed. I employed. He came into my team. A guy called Simon, and uh, he is still with them as well. You know, I seen his uh, LinkedIn anniversary. It was either eleven or twelve years he's been with them, and he's an operations manager now as well. And so is Amal an operations manager. Um, You know, it's just really good to 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 know that somebody that I employed, somebody that I I gave a job, they first came onto my team, um, is now an operations manager in that same organization it's really nice
0: what about the person that employed you must be thinking this is brilliant i've seen this guy on the bbc
1: (laughs) yeah i suppose it's uh i can't remember who it was actually um interviewed me for the role and the, the first time around the first uh when i first went there. Um, I can't remember who it was that I interviewed me, but I can remember so many people from, you know, the, 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 the senior level management and, you know, obviously the, the HR departments and stuff like that, because I got quite involved in a lot of that stuff. You know, one of the things that I enjoyed about working at Domestic in General in those days, and again, this has probably changed, you know, things have changed over the years in terms of how we employ people more generally across the board, not just in contact centres but I did my own recruitment back then. So you could do your own mm. interviews, you know, for mm. uh, people, and they would be people that you'd be interviewing to come on to your team. Um, and I, I love doing that sort of stuff, you know. Okay. I love saying to people, yeah, you're calling people up and saying you've been successful, you know. And um, I had some really interesting times as well back then, you know. And again, I don't know how politically correct this would be now, but there was one... Uh, women who came for a, a, an interview um you know and obviously we were a uk-based contact center um, talking to people just in the uk you know but from Newcastle uh, mm. Liverpool, Scotland all around the United kingdom and unfortunately the women couldn't speak English um, and you know it was't it, it yes, was a, a foreign-based uh, UK Contact center. I know a lot of contact centres now are, are looking for Spanish and uh, you know Polish and different uh, speakers, Italians, um, but the, the young woman couldn't speak English. So unfortunately, I was a little bit, I'm not really sure, you know, I, I, I managed to convey to her that it was a UK-based contact centre, um, talking to people in the UK.
0: Um, yeah, I think so, you I mean, just, I th- I think it points to the fact that you you never know this is what I loved about um, being in operations and and being in that role. you never knew day to day really something was going to crop up that you would remember like now years and years later and there was another point you made there that I just think we don't talk about enough in the industry and that is it is fun, it's fun and you make lifelong friendships you know and your careers will go in lots of different directions but being in that um, environment where you're all working together you all you know even the level of scrutiny I mean it has dropped a bit now in terms of there's a lot of progressive contact centers that even though they will still track a lot of the timings and you know how long comfort breaks all this sort of stuff they don't talk to their teams about it which I think is is great but being in, being in that environment, you forge uh, a togetherness that is very, very rare. You don't often see it in in, in other industries. And that kind of, you said something earlier about um, incentives. I can remember I would always, even when I got to senior levels, want to spend time on the phones. I thought it was important. I thought yeah. it helped me. It helped me make better decisions decisions that would affect people on the phones um, but also i thought it was good for the team to see that you know you you would put your money where your mouth is um and we when we were doing sales though the first shift the first shift i did i did 10 hours and i really wanted to show them that i could still still sell and i was getting sales and i was i was up at, i was up near the top of our leaderboard but the next day the quality manager um, sent me an email saying oh could you come over and have a have a word and they said look we didn't what they used to do was walk onto the sales floor with your um cool sheets and just come and sit down next to you and and tell you whether you passed or failed and you could see it in the stats and our guys would always be all over the stats and the quality manager she said look we haven't released the stats because all all bar one of your sales was non non compliant. <laughs> non compliant, yeah,
1: yeah. I know it's 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 what I you know I loved that Martin. You know, like that was one of the, the things that I loved most about my role as a team leader was the incentives where I would be back on the phones, um, because I was always a really good seller and I was compliant as well. So. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I sailed <laughs> a bit close to the wind. <laughs> yeah, a little bit close to the wind, but I, I was always compliant. And, you know, what I loved about going back on the phones and, and still being able to do that, you know, once a month or once every mm. couple of months, you know, uh, for a full day and giving somebody a day off and making some sales is that I think it's really hard to manage people in any area if you've not got any experience of doing the job you, mm. yourself, you mm. know, and, and that's, mm. I think, you asked me a question earlier about sharing my experiences and the work that I do now, you know, and I think that's what, um, you know, hopefully makes me quite good at doing the work that I do now, you know, is that I can share my personal experiences and I've been walking on a path that, you know, many of the people that we try and support in the charity, you know, that, you know, they're also on, on that, that journey, you know, like, and, and I think that's important, you know, like, um, that, that, you know, you've got some level of personal experience, you know, and I, I found in my time at Domestic in General um, that the best managers, the best leaders in the organisation were the people that came through the front line. You know the people that had started on the phones. Yeah, people that had spent some time on the phones, um, and were promoted up through the organisation. And I think that's really what they were good at. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. myself and and I I know a number of other people that that started on the phones and have been promoted up, like the guy that I was telling you about that I interviewed. Um, uh, way back 10, 11 years uh, 11, 12 years ago now, who is now a, an operations manager with Domestic in General um, you know, those are and I'm not saying that you can't, you cannot yeah management. Yeah, we do, yeah. Into the mm-hmm. contact centre industry that won't be good managers of course, you know, people can come externally into any job and do a good job but I think it's also uh, you know, a great Uh, asset to to have had the experience of doing the the job yourself that you're net managing people other people to do
0: yeah i couldn't agree more let's talk then about um what what you do now and that kind of so you started uh, volunteering and then got um offered a a full-time job but where's and that that kind of the the charity sector is what's the journey there
1: so yeah, the, the the journey started with a, a, a job um, locally here, um, where where I now live in Scotland, um, Falkirk. Um, that's where I was born and raised, and where I went through my initial challenges in life. You know, like growing up, where um, you know there there was there was lots of poverty in Scotland, and the. You know, in the early eighties when I was growing up, you know, the coal mines were all closing down, you know, like the deindustrialization and um you know, I went through some adverse experiences in childhood, you know, and I, I turned to alcohol and other drugs um to to cope with life, you know, and I had my own sort of problematic substance use which you know led to not being able to hold jobs down not being able to 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 work consistently for periods of time and then eventually led to homelessness and injecting uh, drugs um, and horrible conditions you know and when I started working in this industry or if if that's the right word for it this sector you know the charity um, work that I do now um, you know I had a couple of different jobs you know um, at the beginning and My last job, um, before I I became sort of well-known, was an HIV outreach coordinator in Glasgow. So at the time Glasgow was going through, and this is just a few years ago, it was going through the worst HIV outbreak that the UK has seen in 30 years amongst people who were homeless and injecting drugs in the city centre of Glasgow. So couple of hundred cases have been detected. nothing like this had happened for a long long time. And then I started really looking into what was happening around the world and you know what's happening now in uh, 14 or 15 countries now around the world is things that are called overdose prevention centers or in some areas say for consumption sites, some areas call them uh, drug consumption rooms. Um, Now, there's no legislation in the UK for those, um, and the government unfortunately are still against them, Um, the the Westminster government, although the Scottish government, are really supportive and want to set these up. The laws are not devolved to the Scottish Parliament around the misuse of drugs. Um, So I looked at what had happened in countries like Denmark and countries like Canada, and how these things started was civil disobedience. And uh, given that I'm a very stubborn person and uh, once I get something in my head, I just go for it. I went and set up the UK's first and only um, ever overdose prevention centre. And it was unsanctioned. I didn't have any money to do, do it. I started a crowdfunder, And uh, I went and bought an old van and I took it into Glasgow City Centre and I allowed people to come into it and inject in a sterile container in a, a sterile environment where they could mm. also be offered basic support, so things like protein bars and protein shakes, um, obviously a clean and safe area where they would get access to clean equipment so they wouldn't be sharing equipment so the HIV mm. uh, transmission wouldn't, uh, you know, happen. Uh, and also, if somebody did take an overdose, they could be helped and, in the time that I ran that facility, which was over the course of about 10 months, we reversed nine overdoses. So that's nine wow. times that had mm-hmm. people been taking those drugs in an area where they didn't have any help or support, they could have died. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was highly, um, you know, backed across Scotland and the UK, you know, and I ended up... Um, actually being charged by police for an obstruction. Um, The charge was later dropped and the Crown and Prosecutor Fiscal Service said that there was no case to answer, which was good. And then after that, you know, I I ended up meeting the First Minister of Scotland, you know, well known across uh, the political spectrum now. And then that culminated in meeting the Queen. so, wow. I went, yeah, I went and got to meet, I went, I went and met the Queen, um, obviously before she she passed in October last year, I met her, um, and I got to tell the Queen about how I was supporting um, homeless drug users and uh, trying to help people, you know, who are some of the most margin- marginalized um, people in our communities. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's a a real roller coaster ride the last uh, two and a half, three years. And, you know, some of my own challenges I've had to face again, you know, with Mm. addiction, you know, and and, I've worked through those again um, after, you know, sort of feeling that I'd overcome those challenges. You know, I think some of the stuff that I was seeing on the streets of Glasgow. Uh, just brought it all back to me you know and uh, and, uh, and again as I say I had to face those challenges again um, and now I work for you know the most fantastic organisation like Cranston uh, the charity that I work for now um, again really close to my heart I mean, a lot of the work that Cranston delivers is across the West Midlands and it's, it's funny how things come full circle because the photo that I posted on LinkedIn was actually a shop, a shop do- doorway in Birmingham City Centre. Um, that was where you know I slept for a, a long period of time outside that shop doorway. And now I'm working for this charity who delivers support services across the West Midlands, you know, and other areas in the UK as well. But um, it's funny how things just come full circle, you know, and you end up being where you're meant to be, you know. And, um, the the what I'm doing now I've just moved into a new role for the charity as a fundraising and events lead, and I am organising a massive big conference over three days in, in and sorry in Brighton, um, and again it's like you're coming full circle because that's where I met my wife that's where I got the job yeah. for you know and started working for domestic in general and we are. You know, obviously, my life changed, you know, my life changed massively through domestic in general, through that first job in the contact centre industry, and through my, you know, uh, 13 or 14 years living in Brighton, and now I'm back down in the city um, in February next year, um, organising this big, massive conference, getting people from all over the world to come along, to speak, um, to, you know, talk about... The work in social justice that they're doing, you know, and not just mm. housing and homelessness and uh, drug addiction or drug dependency, um, but also, you know, the, the things around um, young people services, how we supporting young people in economic times of economic precarity for, for, mm. for not just charities, but, you know, businesses as a whole, I'm, I'm sure the contact center industry is still feeling the effects of you know, COVID and and the redesign of how we all work these days, you know, how are we dealing with these issues of social justice, cost of living crisis, you know, how are we dealing with domestic abuse as we come through a period of time where, you know, people have been at home, there's been more alcohol consumption, you know, people have been locked up at home often in really precarious situations with, you know, dealing with domestic abuse and dealing with adverse childhood experiences and how how, we, how we all coming together and collaborating to help? You know, that's where, um, as I say, that feels like it's all came full circle for me now, you know, from that that first job in Brighton to working in the charity sector to trying to bring us all together to collaborate because everybody's got a part to play in this, Martin, from the employers, like domestic in general who are giving people opportunities <clears throat> who are coming out of the, the criminal justice system who have got criminal records to come to 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 declare to organizations like who timsons who are at the forefront of doing this stuff to you know all the charities are coming together to exhibit and share the work that they do over the course of the weekend in Brighton. You know
0: more more power to do I think it's um it's amazing to hear what you're doing and what and what you've done and the lives that you've that you've positively affected. Even though, as you said, that kind of meant that you had to revisit some of your own traumatic times. So, I mean, as a, as an industry, I think I, I would like to think that there's going to be people contacting you after this, and um, from our industry, I know I'd love to find out more about um, what you and the charity do and support however however we can, because I think as you mentioned, you know the the birth of us talking is because of domestic and general saying let's let's take it let's take a chance and then not only that but also empowering you and now here you are empowering as many people as possible to try and elicit change um in a wider sense for our society to help people that Definitely need it and don't don't get it. Yeah,
1: and that, that <coughs> excuse me, that is my hope. You know, I hope that we can see not just charities coming together, but organisations mm. as a whole. <coughs> excuse me, but No uh, or, or, Organisations as a whole, you know, I think we've all got a part to play here. We've all got a part.
0: Mm. And what, what would you, if you're, as a, as a final message for um, people, you know, we, some of the previous podcasts actually are around kind of um, recruitment and how we, how are we getting, how do we position ourselves as an industry to say we're a good place to, we're a good place to work. But um, there are still, there are still contact centers that are still not as progressive as, D G were um, back then. What would you What would you be saying to people in positions that can recruit in our industry right now?
1: Uh, I think you need to to look beyond the challenges of the individual. You know, you need to see the person. If somebody's applying for a job, they've went through the trouble of <clears throat> filling out an application. You know, they're turning up at the at, at an interview as long as somebody's got that basic skill, you know, that Mm. basic level of communication, that's all I had. When I went Mm. to Domestic in General, I never had any work experience. I never had any, um, you know, like uh, anything really to offer apart from a basic level of communication, you know, Mm. and all I had to offer was that I needed an opportunity you know, and I think that's what we all have to do. We have to recognise that people need opportunities. You know, there's there's lots of scope out there for people just like me. You know, people who, <coughs> people who have went through these challenges, who have not had the best starts in life often, who, you know, who have um, been challenged through adverse childhood experiences, who have been challenged through the criminal justice system, who, you know, have had uh, dependency issues, you know, and that, that simple little opportunity that somebody said, who was interviewing me that day, I would love to find who, you know, like who that was, I, I would love to be able to find out who the person was that interviewed me, who gave me that opportunity. <coughs> because I feel a lot about emotional talking about it now because that, that one, one chance, that one chance totally changed my life.
0: Uh, I love that. And you, you said something earlier about kind of two, two key phrases, words is hope and role model. And I think um, anyone listening to this would absolutely buy into this and agree what a great role model um, you are. I've got to ask, were you, before you met the Queen, were you? Did you have to pinch yourself? <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was a surreal moment to
1: be honest. Um, you know, I've met politicians across the board. You know, I've worked closely with like um, Paul Sweeney, who was a former Labour MP. He's now a Labour MSP. You know. <clears throat> I've met the leader of all the Scottish political parties, <coughs> Douglas Ross from the Conservatives, Anna Sauer, Labour, you know, Alex Cole-Hamilton, who I consider a, 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 a good friend from the leader of the Scottish Lib Dems, Nicola Sturgeon. I've met on a couple of occasions. You know, I've met, I've been to Westminster, I've, I've met various MPs at Westminster, I've spoke at a Westminster event. Um, you know, and, and, but meeting the Queen... I was standing in the line and Prince Charles was there, obviously he's the King now, but Prince Charles and the Queen were there and the Queen was going down one side and Prince Charles was at the time, Prince Charles, King Charles now, was going down the other side. And I was <clears throat> put on one side and I, and I actually secretly was like, I really hope the Queen comes down my line, because you yeah. Know, was, yeah. But then when she was coming down, you know, I've never been overwrought by meeting any politician or any public figure that I've met, you know, on having been on TV on multiple occasions now. Never overwrought by it, you know. But the sweat was running down my back when I was standing in line to meet the Queen because it is surreal, isn't it? I mean, yeah. she, at that point, had been on the throne for 70 years. You know, I, I think I was probably one of the last handful of people who met her at a public engagement, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, obviously, uh, uh, you, you, things like that don't happen to people from, you know, council estates and from small villages in Scotland, you know, who <clears throat> have been through, you know, the things that I've been through in earlier life and, and, and the, 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 the challenges that are, are kind of, uh, you know, I'm still here to tell the tale. Of so, sort of, yeah, very surreal, very um, nerve-wracking that was.
0: Well, this is what a life-affirming um, episode this has been, uh, Peter. Thanks so much for coming on, and as I said, more power to you. Keep doing the stuff you do, and I think it's uh, amazing. Thank you for everything you do. Yeah,
1: no, thanks again for asking me, Martin. It's actually been really, really nice to come on and chat to you today, and, and brought back lots of great memories for me.
0: Brilliant. Have a great day. Thank you.